what we're going to do, we're going to do first of some, some of you know that it's um, Remembrance Day um, today. So around the world, people are remembering those who died in conflict, but also those affected from conflict um, as well. Okay, guys. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray. Father God, Lord, I just pray that we could just come before you right now. We could just remember. Lord, that we could commend to your sure keeping those who have lived and fought and died in the service of mankind, God, for a free and a just world. Lord, I pray that we just come before you today and we just pray for the peace of the world. We pray for and lift up statesmen and rulers around the world that they may have wisdom, that they may have courage to know what to do, that they may have the courage to do what is right. Lord, for all of those who work in the international sphere to improve international relationships, God, that they may find a true godly way to reconcile people together of different creeds, Lord, of different races, of different peoples, God, of different colours, Lord. And Lord, that men and women all over this world, that they may have justice, God. Lord, we ask for justice today, that they would have justice and that they would have freedom, God. That they could live in security and peace, Lord. Lord, let us pray today for all those who suffer as a result of war. For the injured and the disabled, for the mentally distressed, for those whose faith in you, Father, and in man has been weakened or destroyed through war. For the homeless, for the refugees, for those who are hungry, for all those who have lost their lives, who have lost their livelihoods and their security. And for all those today who are mourn those that they've lost, those who have lost a husband, lost a wife, lost children or parents or friends and family. And especially, God, we just lift up those who have no hope in you, God. Have no hope in you, Father. Lord, who have no hope in eternity. And so, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, infinite God in wisdom and in love and in power, have compassion on those for whom we pray. Help us, God. Lord, I pray that you would help us see and use all suffering like your suffering in the cause of the kingdom. But through him, you, Jesus, who gave yourself for us on a cross so that we, in you, could have eternal life. Amen. Amen. Guys, let's just take one minute and just be inside.
Father, just as we remember, Lord, I pray that you would give us hope for the future. Lord, that we can build your kingdom here, Lord. That in your kingdom, that there is no death, no destruction, Father God. And I just pray that in this place, God, in this world, in this in this next generation, Father God, and there's an increase in your kingdom here on the earth. Lord, in your name. Amen. Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, and like we said earlier, God, I pray that you would challenge us today, that you would meet with us, each and every person that's here today, and that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray that we would be challenged today. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would take us out of here on a different level, on a new level, Lord. Lord, though we wouldn't just be informed today, but in some small way, God, we would be transformed. Holy Spirit, speak into each and every single one of our hearts. In your name, amen. amen. Okay, guys, so if you're, if you're here for the first time, we're going through Acts. We're in Acts 24, so I'll just give a recap of the past year. No, I'm just joking. Um, we're in Acts 24. We're actually getting quite near the end, right? There's only, after this, there's only another four more weeks for us to go. And you may remember from last week, I'll just try and set the scene at least for where we're at. From last week, Paul, remember there's these 40 guys who make this pact to say, we're going to kill Paul. And Paul finds out about it through a kind of a series, through his nephew and a series of unlikely events and he has this kind of honor and blessing where he's escorted out of town by this massive military escort down to Caesarea. This huge military escort of kind of horses and soldiers, 400 soldiers, 70 horses. And so it's this, it's this kind of incredible, incredible blessing, incredible moment where he looks like on one hand it looks like he's about to die and suddenly everything's turned around. And he's brought down to Caesarea to Felix, the governor, and he goes into the, he gets put up in the Herod's palace, seems pretty good, you know, he's not chucked in a cell somewhere, he's put up in Herod's palace, and he has with him a letter from the commander up in Jerusalem saying, this guy, Paul, isn't worthy of death, and he's not worthy of imprisonment, like, I'm getting him out, out of town, says a plot, and there he is, deal with him. And everything looks good, and yet you'll see that whilst it looks like it starts out as a blessing, because of the unjust decisions, actions of people, what actually happens is Paul's situation turns into imprisonment, the very thing the letter says he's not worthy of, all due to injustice. So today, guys, the sermon title, if you want to call it, is injustice, so potentially quite apt as well that it's Remembrance Day. Thank you, Lord, for sorting that out, because I didn't. You know, injustice. Today, in, when we say that word justice or injustice, we quite often think of that word as something to do with, like, we immediately think of law courts and legality and lawyers and, and things like this. And some, if you guys have been in the Justice Conference, some of the bits through today, you'll, you'll maybe pick up, I've taken a few like great golden nuggets 
from the things I learned over that weekend to share with you guys too. But actually, the language in the Bible, the Greek and the Hebrew, is very different. You know, in part, the law is an aspect of justice. But actually, when you look in the Bible, the words for righteousness and for justice are actually interchangeable. In a certain place where holiness as well, it's the same. I'm not going to go into a deep study of the word, but just to take as an example, this word diakosene is a Greek word, which so often in the Bible is just translated as righteousness. We translate it as righteousness, but it can also be translated and understood as justice. It gives this richer, broader picture and understanding of justice. So, for example, Matthew 5.8, it says this, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You probably know that one's quite a famous verse. But it can also be translated, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after justice, after God's justice is that which is right to be manifest in their presence, that they shall be filled. In English, over the kind of development of the language, the words have kind of gone different ways. So we've got, when we say justice and righteousness, they, we think they're very different things. We feel they're very different words. But actually, in many of the Romance languages, these concepts are actually the same, the same word. There's one word that deals with these same kind of concepts. So guys, when we speak about justice, what we're speaking about is not something to do just with what's lawfully right and wrong. We're speaking about bringing the shalom of God, the completeness of God into that situation where righteousness and holiness would be exalted. Where the kingdoms, like we prayed, where we sang about, where the kingdom and that fullness of God, that completeness of God of human life would come upon the earth. God's people are called to be bringers of justice to the world. This, this thing of justice is a beautiful thing because it, it always starts in the power and the presence of God himself. See, we never discover true justice outside of the presence of God. And just to give you an example of God's heart for justice and that, that justice coming to the world comes out of the presence of God, if you think of the story of Moses. And Moses is there, doesn't he? And he meets God in the burning bush and God says, Moses, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. And there's the burning bush and out of the bush, God speaks to Moses. From the presence of God, Moses receives this call justice. And what is the call? You know? It's not, go build this church in this place or something. It is to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, set my people free. It's a call to justice from the very presence of God. And over the years, there's been many, many people there in the presence of God who have been called to champion justice in the world. So as we start today, as we start speaking about justice and injustice, I just wanted to frame the word justice so that we're all on the same kind of footing. I, I wanted to remind all of us that this isn't this kind of thing, this thing in our own strength, that 
this is wrong, you know, and actually in the human heart often we, we know what's right and wrong and things like that. But it for us when we speak about it, it's not just this kind of self-driven crusade, but it is a lifestyle that we should live in and walk out of because of our worship, because of our dwelling in the presence of God. There's the challenge there that if we come to church and we dwell in the presence of God, we hear from God to then go out into the world, become more justice. That those two things go hand in hand. I remember years ago someone saying to me, not a believer, they said, I'd rather work a little bit longer and then give money to people who are starving than go to church and sing, sing songs. But actually what that person didn't really understand and realize is that true call to justice, that true motivation to go but whatever, whatever the cost is to bring, see God's justice come into the world, comes out of dwelling in and being in and abiding in the presence of God. So guys, let's explore that more and look at what on earth I'm talking about and how that links in with Acts 24. So this passage in Acts 24, it starts with the high priest and a bunch of other guys and a lawyer coming down from Jerusalem, down to um, down to... Caesarea, which is the main governing town of Israel at the time. That's where the main barracks were, where the governor was living. These guys, they wanted to murder Paul. They wanted Paul dead. They tried to go an unjust route and with these 40 guys. They were okay to see these 40 guys just murder Paul on the street. But they're forced because of the Roman government and the way it's all happened to go through the Roman court system. And this is what it says in verses 1 to 9. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. Right name. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation, everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix. We acknowledge this with profound gratitude, but in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots amongst the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these things, all these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusations, asserting that these things were true. So as we go through, we're going to look at these different injustices by different people. First, here, we read here about this injustice by the religious elite. That they're lying about Paul. They're just lying about him. They say he's a riot starter. Why? Because they know the Romans hate riot starters, you know, I'm a fire starter. They, they don't want him to seem good in, in the Romans' eyes. And so they make him out as someone who's breaking the peace of Rome. They lie about him that they, he's come into the temple and desecrated the temple. That's blatant lie. He hasn't. He went through a whole week of ceremonial cleansing before going up into the temple, didn't he? The leaders of God's people, this religious elite, those guys who study the law, who should live by the law, who know the law, at least know enough not to lie about a guy to try and get him killed, live completely opposite to the law. What an injustice that is. See, injustice happens when the law of God is broken. Injustices happen when the law of God is broken. 
If you think about it, you cannot commit an injustice and be keeping the law at the same time. You put it into a, maybe a more New Testament kind of context where Jesus says, you know, the whole law is summed up in, the whole law and the prophets is summed up in love, your, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot commit an injustice and be loving God and be loving your neighbor as yourself. And so how sad that these guys who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of a people, the religious elite who profess to stand for God's justice, God's righteousness, are making up lies to see a man killed. And then just that last verse we read, we see these other Jews that have come down with them, maybe some of those 40 as well, but they're standing up and they're asserting the truth of that lie. They're saying, yeah, actually what they're saying is real. They're bearing false witness. What an injustice that people would stand around and hold up a lie. If you think about in that moment, how Paul would have been feeling. How would you guys be feeling? You know, it'd be a bit like annoying. But if we think about what happened last week, remember in verse 11 of chapter 23, Jesus speaks to Paul and he says, You will testify about me in Rome. And so, in the whole context of this, as much as that injustice is happening to him, much as it seems unfair and infuriating, I believe Paul's going to have this incredible peace because Jesus spoke a word over him saying, you will testify about me in Rome. But Paul's deepest inner place, he knows, hey, whatever these guys are trying to throw at me, I'm going to Rome. I'm not dying here. What confidence, you know, that there is for Paul to stand up against these false testimonies. And the word of God will stand up against all false testimonies, false testimonies. This thing of kind of people being lied to and supporting a lie, it's not a problem from 2,000 years ago, and it's just like an isolated, oh, that was a weird incident. It's something that is going on today. It's something that happens all over the world, and we, we maybe hear it happens in every strata of society. Take people of power, for example. People of power. Why they have so much responsibility, speaking lies over situations that are then echoed by other people and become this kind of truth that folk follow, that result in pain, in hurt, and death to other humans. That's a full-on injustice. It's a complete injustice. They're Ed Stetzner, some of you guys may know him. Um, he's a big kind of voice for evangelical Christianity in America, um, big on kind of church planting leadership. And he's just released an article on Vox kind of challenging a lot of the fearful rhetoric around that, the caravan of migrants from Mexico. Challenging actually evangelicals. He's saying, guys, it's the church. You know, we can't let the words that are kind of going around there be the thing that defines our response. Our response has to be defined by the word God. You know, the word of God says, welcome in the stranger, look after the migrant in our land, care for the foreigner. Challenging. But we have to live by truth. And then Paul, he gets into this next section. Paul gets invited to stand up and speak. He doesn't get punched in the face this time like he did last week. He stands up and he's invited to share. And here in this chapter, in the middle of injustice, this whole chapter that really is just very unjust, we have this picture of justice. 
So it says this, Paul says, when the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. They cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. And he continues, and he says this, after an absence of several years, he's been away for a long time, right? I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. That's the only reason he's there. He's done that massive collection around kind of the Greece area, Macedonia, Achaia, all that, those areas, a huge collection from all the churches. And he's gone back to give into the city, to bless the city. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance, but there were some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Remember that big riot that kind of broke out before was rescued from it? It was these Jews from Asia, from the Ephesus kind of area. Remember Asia's Western Turkey, that section. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing that I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Paul stands up and he speaks truth. Paul gives a truthful account. He speaks truth. And you know, justice brings a truthful account. We should be a people that pursue truth because in truth there is something of the heart of justice and in that there is something of the heart of God. It's the very reason that Jesus came to earth to bring justice to an unjust world. And so as his people it has to be central to our call as well that we would champion justice in the world. You know I don't know if you guys have ever thought about the theology of justice that justice conference they speak about this quite a bit, and I'll share some kind of thoughts as we just go through this bit, but our theology of justice should impact how we live, how we as a church live out our war as a believer should impact how we interact with issues of our time, topical issues. As church in the city, it's so important to champion justice because that's what we've been called by God to do. To stand up and say, that isn't okay, that's unjust. You know, speaking about, one of the speakers at, at that conference, um, speaking about leaders, and speak, well, speaking about the role of Christians in the church, interacting with higher powers, talking about governments. Okay? They said this great quote, which was, we're called to speak truth to power. Speak truth to power. We're called to be a people that finds what's maybe hidden away by the culture, by the society. Find what's pushed into the dark corner and bring it into the light. You know, if you think about Hong Kong, it seems so glamorous, right? 
you land in the airport, you get the shuttle right into IFC basement, and you're like, you know, it's, it's glitzy and it's lovely and it's wealthy. But then there are sometimes, there are, um, poorer areas where things are kind of getting pushed together, like Sham Shui Po and other areas around Hong Kong, poorer areas where it's kind of compartmentalized. And from one of my notes from that conference, I wrote, I wrote this down, that some, somebody had said, it says, cities shut the poverty away. And then when commenting on justice in the cities, that cities shut the poverty away because poverty reveals the failure of our society. It reveals the sin of the system. That sin leads to injustice. You know, sin and injustice, they share a bed together. That when the law of God is broken, when people don't live that gospel-centered life, and I don't mean like a Christian cultured life, where it's just like, oh yeah, I do this christian kind of stuff, we've got a gospel-centered life. Then injustices come. Those guys committing injustice in Acts 24, they see Paul, they're accusing Paul, and they're trying to silence the gospel. You know, the gospel and injustice, they're completely incompatible. They're completely opposite. You don't have the gospel fully coming to an area and injustice impacting that area. If there's an injustice, the gospel needs to impact that area where there is injustice. They just don't go together. Just some ideas like when people choose a prophet over people, people get hurt, can get hurt. When the church actually goes quiet and doesn't stand up as a voice for justice, people get hurt. There's an example I just want to share with you guys. It's actually a UK example, and I'll share some more later about Hong Kong, but one of the great challenges, and in itself an injustice in the UK, is that there are approximately 2,000 children who are in institutional care, and yet there are more, far more than 2,000 families who would be capable, maybe not convenient, but capable. There's a movement in the UK going around the churches trying to get the church to adopt kids from, from that 2,000 because there are far more than 2,000 churches that are just one family per church could adopt them and the whole church got around them, then this issue would disappear. And so I just want to share some of these stats. Um, a guy called Krish Kandai, he runs a charity in the UK, a fostering and adoption charity. And I mean, they're quite staggering statistics. He shares that 60% of children who enter what we call the care system in the UK, they, that they never leave, that they age out at age 18, that they're always between maybe different families and in institutional care for the whole time. So remember that figure, 60% of all those kids who go in never leave. Of those kids who are care leavers, meaning they age out at the age of 18, that's 60%. 1%, they make up actually 1% of the UK population for these care leavers. But they make up 25% of the UK homeless population. Another astounding stat was that these care leavers make up 50% of the under 25 year old male prison population in the UK. 
but in some areas, 70% of sex workers are young women who've aged out of the care system. So that's just one example of injustice. And I mean, Krish, it's very challenging because he says, you know, I can't, I, I can't go to the government and say, you have to sort this this problem out and that is their kind of solution to sort the problem out. But he says, I can come to the church and challenge the church. And it's, it was challenging. It's the probably most challenging thing I've heard this this year because he says, you know, we're called to care for the orphans. And in James one twenty seven, it says this, it says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for the orphans and the widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You know, it's not the bigger building, it's not the like awesome, awesome sermon on the 11th of November. It's the caring, pure and genuine religion. The sight of God is caring for the marginalized, the dispossessed, the orphan, the widow. Why? Why the church? Okay. Well, God calls us to it. But why should we? more than any other group of people, fully get the importance of adoption and the joy of adoption. And the truth is, it's because we have all experienced adoption. If you don't know this, this is new to you today, if you're here today and you say you count yourself as a Christian, as a believer in God, we have all experienced adoption. You've experienced adoption. See, the story of Christianity is a story of adoption. It's a story of justice coming to us. That we, the fatherless, that we who were separated from God through Jesus have been adopted back into his family. And you guys who've been around here for a while, you know that that's the vision of the church, that we would be a family of God here upon the earth. Saikung, that's one of the pillars of our vision. Family. You know, together you're brothers and sisters, but not in some bizarre kind of like religious way that sometimes people think about it. Maybe like, hey sister, hey brother. You are brothers and sisters because you have literally been adopted and have the same father. See, Jesus saw children, us, humanity, alone and abandoned to the prison of sin, in this cycle of destruction. That 60% aging out, that no hope for the future. And he came down and he paid the price that we just couldn't. That he, the true son of the father, our elder brother, the firstborn of all creation, he becomes separated from the father. And that separation is massive. This relationship that has never been broken, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, living in perfect love and perfect unity, the Son is separated from the Father at the cross. The Father turns his back on him. Why? So that we, so that humanity, the lost sons, the lost daughters, could be brought back in by him, the Son. It's amazing. We could be brought back in to the eternal relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit, and dwell in the midst of that, have a privilege of a relationship with Him. That's the good news. That's the good news, guys. Not like 
come to church on a Sunday, it's going to be great, or they've got great music. Mm-hmm. Not, look, this group of people are really lovely, and you'll find some kind of satisfaction with them. They're all great things, but the good news is we can we have been adopted. We choose to run into the Father's arms. Yeah, I just want you to imagine for a moment a boy or a girl who's been on that adoption waiting list for years and years. And then suddenly one day they get the call that you have been adopted. Imagine the joy. Imagine that kind of overwhelming, ah, like the whole world's changed for me in that one moment. That is a day of good news for that child that they'll never forget. And I don't think a year later even, they'll take that for, for granted. Well, you know, guys, that is the gospel. That is the good news to share. As the Father calls to us all, says, I've made a way, come home. Doesn't force us like robots to come home. But it says, I've made a way, come home. There is no more beautiful story that the world has to offer than this story of God adopting mankind. Gospel. And it's true. See, guys, if you're not in his arms today, if you say, actually, I don't really follow don't really follow him today. Choose to follow him. It's a free gift. He's done it. Paperwork signs. You can come home to him. But also, so I know many of us, like many of us here are believers. Here's the challenge. If you know that you take that relationship for granted, and boy, there have been times in my life when I know I have, right? Oh, it's the Father. Father God, Lord, I just pray, you know? Because I've had great parents. I've had great dad and it's so easy to to see those things together and you maybe just don't appreciate them in the same way but think today from the mindset of, of an orphan and take hold of your father in heaven like an orphan would with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength when you see it in that kind of context you understand why Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, your mind and your strength. Why? Because you've come home. Because you've been saved. Because he's your father. And so we then come into this last part. Verse 22. It says, then Felix, good name for a cat then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and to permit his friends to care for his needs. So it's okay, that's not great. So several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Jesus. As Paul Paul talked about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. (laughs) So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favour to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. One verse, but it covers two years. Massive. Who's been left there for two years. So Paul has become a prisoner. He's treated okay. He's standing he's like in like a deep dark cell. He's got people caring for his needs. But he has become a prisoner. The injustice of that situation, this 
unlawful imprisonment. And it's here we see then this injustice by the governing elite and by the system itself, by the Roman system. If you think about the situation, Felix, it's kind of crazy, because Felix is going to be one of the wealthiest guys in the whole land. He's going to be loaded. He's the governor. You wouldn't get that job if you were poor. He's the governor of that whole area. And it seems almost ridiculous. One of the reasons that he's keeping Paul there is because he's, that he's hoping for a bribe from him. It's a bit odd, isn't it? It's a bit like, well, you know, like he's trying to get some pocket change out of him. But you know something? Greed is a terrible thing. It's a hard thing to notice. If we think about many of the things like our financial crashes in the world, massive injustice is happening to lots of people because certain people, elites, with greed. Many wars find their roots in greed. Like I said earlier, no sin like greed would ever produce justice. And then there's, there's, there's a second thing, reason why he's keeping him in prison, second injustice in a sense, is Felix wants to please the Jews. Felix is more focused on himself in that moment than on Paul and what is right. Felix would rather Paul be unjustly imprisoned for two whole years and that he could get some kind of favour, he could get some kind of benefit with the Jews. But the truth is, see, when anyone puts themselves before the rights of others and they're okay with the injustice of that, that they suffer for their benefit, and that is completely unjust. When those in power don't pursue justice, we're going to end up with situations like Paul is facing. But the whole truth is, whilst here we see this Roman system is slightly broken, all systems of government, to some degree or another, are slightly broken. We pursue God and we, we, we do our best. And a lot of systems of the world, governing systems of the world, have been built on the foundation of the Bible. I don't think it's a coincidence that you find more justice in those kind of systems than in others. But it may surprise some to know that that's kind of like consumerist capitalist society. It's not going to survive. It's not what heavens is. It's not what kingdom economy is going to look like. So this Roman system, this political system, there's an injustice in the system of the time that that system allowed Paul, without any cause, to be imprisoned for two years. And that kind of thing is not isolated to the past. We see all sorts of things happening today. You just turn on the news, it's probably worse at the moment. You see, turn on the news, you see people in its situations right across the world where Systems of governance are causing people to be wrongfully treated, suffer injustice. There's a, a number of people speaking about, this is something I had no idea about, but a whole bunch of, I've seen various things in the news about um, everything that's going on in Myanmar, but there's over a one million refugees living along the borders of Myanmar and, and Thailand, and 400,000 living in refugee camps on the Thailand side of the border. There's, all sorts of things going on around this world, all because of injustice in the system. But something that gives me encouragement is that Christians, even way back in the early church, they actually got persecuted a bunch, but 
It all really started when they began challenging the injustice of the system. I'm talking about when they were persecuted by the Romans. That when they stood up and they actually said, actually, the culture's wrong, the system's wrong, this isn't okay. When they opposed gladiatorial combat, when they fought for people's rights, when they stood up and were a voice for those who the society failed, persecution broke out. And I find that encouraging that this forming community of believers who didn't even have WhatsApp, you know, were able to actually stand up against the might of Rome, that they called out injustice, and that for 2,000 years, the church has been doing that. We've seen it generation after generation, standing for truth, standing for what is right. And as I prayed earlier, that's my heart for Jonathan, that he'd be one of those men of God that would stand for what is right, standing for the rights of people, caring for the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. And so in this passage, we see there that there's this injustice, there's this last kind of thing hidden behind everything, injustice by society, that there's this man, Paul, and he's in prison for two years. And as far as we know, no one's calling it out. No one's saying, this isn't right. The injustice by society at large, which actually includes us guys, is usually apathy. See that an injustice is going on, and this is probably the hardest part for us all to hear today, but that an injustice is going on, but we're just too busy. Or we feel just too small to do anything about it. So let's just let's put that down, we've got to leave that to someone else. And um, speaking about fear, what should we fear the most? What kind of injustice should we fear the most? Is it you know, human trafficking or this? From the, the, the Justice Conference, I believe it was this lady sharing about her son turned around to her and said, when he thought about this for a long time, he said, apathy for us is the most dangerous thing that we should fear. Apathy is the most dangerous thing that we should fear. Do you remember there was that footage from came out China of that little girl? She did not buy a car, I think it was, but she was on the side of the road, and for about half an hour, people just walked by her, and it kind of sent the country into an outrage. A stark picture in a, in, a, in a specific incident of just the apathy of people to someone else's pain and suffering. But then, if we scale it up, and take, if we take that example, and I put myself in this because I've lived there for a long time, that example of those 2,000 kids in the UK, that we share. In a country of 66, I think it's over 66 million people, how can 2,000 kids fall through the cracks and not get cared for? But the thing is, it's not a a UK problem. It's the same in Hong Kong. In fact, the numbers are higher in Hong Kong. I want to share some stats with you guys when we think about this thing of engaging. I'm just taking this as an example. There are 3,800 places for children in residential care in Hong Kong, and each one is full as institutional kind of care. 900 of those places are within foster families, and the rest are all with kind of institutions or these smaller group homes. They're not like a massive one, a smaller home, but less, less kids, but still a kind of institution. Hong Kong itself is at capacity. And at any one time, on top of these 
3,800 places that are full, at any one time there are another 400 kids that are waiting for a place to open up in residential care. Only 10% of the children that I've spoken about are actually waiting for a home for adoption. The rest of the kids, they hope to be returned to their birth family, that the family comes to a point where they're able to care for the children. In reality, only 40% of that other 90% will ever return home and the rest will stay in institutional care till they age out at the age of 18. And we're blessed in Hong Kong to have great organisations like Mother's Choice, some of you guys may have heard, and many others that are working to bring justice to so many young people in Hong Kong. And if you've never heard of Mother's Choice, I encourage you guys, go, go on their website, take a look. And also, if there's something as I speak that, that you think, oh wow, that's, that's amazing, but actually, maybe at this stage, that, that's, that's a lot. Look, because they have many different levels that you can engage with. They have a project, I'll say briefly, called Project Bridge, which is being a family to bridge between two, two places, you may remember, like it's, where, whereby they just need a place for the, the child to be for maybe two days, maybe, maybe a week, maybe, maybe a bit longer. And you can operate and be that family to be that place so that they're not just stuck in an institution or all with that virtually nowhere to be. So what can we do in the face of injustice? What can we do? And as I say, that, that's just one example. There's so much stuff going on in the city and in the world. What can we do in the face of injustice? First, we need to look, to open our eyes and see because injustice, it isn't... Injustice isn't just a theory. It's not just like, ah, oh, yeah, that concept. I've heard of that concept of injustice. Not something in a textbook, something that you kind of read about on an app. It is people. It is a wrong which is done and a suffering cause to God's creation. And so when we see those people, when we see the marginalized, those in greatest need, whose society and systems have failed, you know, when we see them, we can begin to be the change, but we cannot be the change until we see them. We can't be the bringers of justice and the heralds of justice if we don't see them. So we first must open our eyes and look and see. As hard as the picture can be sometimes, as convenient as it is just to get on with stuff, and it's challenging. And it's not we have to solve every problem, but actually we can all do a little bit. We can all do a little something. And as we all do a little something, an amazing big picture will form. See, God saw, didn't he? And Jesus saw, and he came to us and made a way so that we, the fatherless, could be adopted by the Father. But it all starts with seeing. And I find, guys, just as we draw into an end, I find there's something beautiful and real with justice and those justice issues because it touches every aspect of life. It touches the world. You can think of nearly every single thing that you do in this context of justice. You know, justice is people standing up and saying no to human trafficking, saying no to the slave trade. It's people standing up and saying it's unjust to have a system that keeps people in perpetual poverty. It's people standing up and caring for the orphans, opening their homes to the refugees 
and saying, hey, come in, come dine with me. I love you, but you, you are a fellow human being. You're not a statistic. You're not a refugee, even that people kind of can label it, put a stigma on that. They are a person with a history and a past and skills and a job that they've had to leave and a home that they've had to run from. And there is injustice all around. And I know when I've thought about it over the years, it can just seem so overwhelming. But we have a hope in a big and great God. If you think about it, that you were lost in sin and darkness, that you were separated from him, and he did the cosmic rescue plan and made you pure and white as snow. If he can do that, if he can bring you so that you can come before the Father, adopted into the family of God and stand in his presence, then he can do anything. He can do anything. But he he doesn't just do it. He calls us in our adoption as sons, in our adoption as daughters, into his family, this, this family of justice bringers, to be that light into the world, to be have the courage to speak justice into our communities, it, it out into this world that he has transformed us so that we in turn can be bringing this hope into the world. And actually, guys, that speaks to the world. When somebody who doesn't know God and has no faith sees people standing up for justice, it causes them to marvel at God, to look at God and say, wow, that's amazing. amazing." They see the love of God in what we do. So as a church, guys, let's be a church that stands justice. So guys, just take some time now, as that music plays, take some time to meditate on this issue. And then we're going to, we'll go to a final song in a minute. But take some time to meditate on this issue of injustice and justice. Is there something that he as I've been speaking, is particularly put on your heart, maybe a justice issue that he's particularly put on your heart, that you don't even know where to start, maybe, but you feel called, hey, I'm, I'm going to step into that, I'm going to find out. If that, if that is something and you want help, come and speak to me afterwards. You know, maybe whilst I was sharing about orphans and fostering and adoption, that you've actually been stirred to look at that more, look at it seriously, enter into that seriously. And actually, one of the things that that guy Chris said, which really challenged me, he says that so often people see adoption as something that's convenient for them, whether it suits them. But the Bible doesn't call us into that place. It calls us to adopt because they're orphans. It calls us to foster and care for them because they're orphans, not because it is convenient. So I encourage you guys, if that, if that is you, look at Mother's Choice, chat, chat to Jess, chat to me. Maybe you're here today and you realize, I am so busy, I just don't see. I am so busy, 
I just don't see. And you just now in your prayer time, as you're praying, you just need to say, God, help me see. God, help my heart see. Maybe you're here, maybe you're here today and you realize there's been some area you can make an impact, but actually, just because of apathy, you can let that injustice slide. I just challenge you guys, there's no condemnation in God, but change your thinking there, change your direction, and walk, walk towards that thing he's putting on your heart. Are you here today and you know that God is your Father? You know that. You're in a relationship with Him. But actually, maybe you've taken that a little bit for granted. That you've not responded to Him like that orphan running into the arms of this new Father. Excited to spend every moment in this presence. Excited to engage with him and just so thankful for the relationship that you have for him, with him. As if that's you, I just say, just re- just refresh today. Just just pray, just pray, just pray right now and just dwell in, in, in him. Make that decision just to pursue him as an orphan running into the arms of the Father. Just lastly, are you here today? As everyone's eyes closed, heads about, are you here today and you know that he isn't your father? That you have not come back to him? And that my question challenge you today is do you need to be adopted into his family? Because he's made a way. As everyone's eyes closed, if that's you, can you just pop your hand in the air and I'd love to pray with you? Put your hand up and just say after me, put my new breath between you and God. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to rescue me. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and paying the ultimate penalty for my sin so that I could have eternal life with you. Father, thank you, Jesus, thank you, that you broke your parental relationship so that I, fatherless, could enter in. I choose to follow you today to the best of my ability. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And that's not a magic prayer. It's just a declaration before God to say, I'm starting a new journey with you today, Father. I'm starting pushing into you, God. I receive your gift of eternal life. I receive, Jesus, what you did for me on the cross so that I can have a relationship with God. And Father, I just pray now for everybody here today, God. Lord, that as we go into this last worship song, as we sing to you, Father, 
as we sing to you. God, Lord, let just the deep reality of you, Father, Son, and Spirit, and our, re- our relationship with you, us abiding in your presence, be that, be that place where we find our heart of justice. In your mighty name.